0: Well, good morning. As corona continues and the stay-at-home ban continues, we are once again in this sanctuary where our weekly attendance is now averaging two, uh, if you include me and Laura. Uh, Anyway, the big difference is that uh, I'm the only one wearing pants watching this right now, uh, except Laura. Laura's wearing pants. So anyway... Again, it's weird. It's just weird, but I'm glad that we have this this way of doing things, at least. It's better, I think, back to the, the 1918 when when churches also had to stop meeting during the Spanish flu, and we didn't even get to see each other. The, the preaching was not heard by anybody. The Zoom meetings were not a possibility. And so, on some level, let us be grateful for what we do have that God has provided us in this era. So, anyway, we're in Luke chapter 13 this morning, so if you will, open your Bibles to... Well, Luke chapter 13. Now, we last saw Jesus comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, first to a mustard seed that begins small, and then it grows into this giant tree, and then we also saw him compare the kingdom of God to leaven, which begins as a small amount, and yet it spreads to the entire mound of, of flour, the massive amount of flour that he was talking about. Since then, what we're seeing with, with Jesus, this, is a, uh, a span of time has passed, and Jesus now is in a completely different situation, completely different day. Now, we, as 21st century Americans, are, are, are living in a culture that is religiously plural, or religious pluralism, as you might say. Meaning this, it means that there are thousands of religions, some of them larger than others, but thousands of religions that people in our nation believe in. Many of them you, you recognize as denominations. You think of the uh, United Methodist Church or the Southern Baptist Convention. Others are different religions altogether, but still very familiar to us. Things like Roman Catholicism and Mormonism. Islam and Buddhism. And still others are truly bizarre. When you start to look at what are considered religions in our nation, there is the the church of the flying spaghetti monster. I kid you not. And it's often referred to, they say, as Pastafarianism, right? Spaghetti monster, Pastafarianism, Rastafari, anyway. You can't make this stuff up except somebody actually made this stuff up. So, there's also religions that we don't tend to consider religions, right? They're just part of our culture. Things like secular humanism, things like atheism, which is absolutely a religion. It has a belief system that those that adhere to it believe in. Many people today believe that your religion is, is merely just a personal choice. That's all it is, as, as though each religion is simply just a different door that goes into the exact same building going to the same place. In that sense, it, it doesn't matter if you enter your house through the front door or through the garage door or the back door, even if you climb through a window somewhere, because they're all going to the same place. They're all going to the same house, so it really doesn't matter, and that's their idea. And so then many today believe that whether you profess Mormonism or Islam or Judaism or Hinduism, it doesn't matter because they're simply different doors leading to the same God and thus all going to salvation. Well, do all doors lead to the same God? Jesus in our passage is going to be actually answering a different question than that one, than we might ask, and and yet his response, it gives us an answer to our 21st century question of this, do all doors lead to God, to, to eternal life? Do all roads lead to Rome, as some might put it? And so, Then we're going to read this passage, and and we'll get into that. And just so you know up front, we're going to read it in three sections so it stays fresh in your mind. You don't have to memorize anything too long. Uh, And our first one's going to begin in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. So if you've got it open, go ahead and follow along with me. It begins uh, with he, speaking of Jesus. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are your creation. We are made in your image. This is your word. It is revealing who you are and and who we are and how we can know you and be known by you. And today, as we learn about the narrow door that becomes the closed door, we ask that you would enlighten our minds to understand. We ask that if we don't know, that you would, you would teach us how to seek you through the narrow door. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing I actually want you to notice about this is where Jesus is teaching. It's so easy to skip over this. What's it say? Where's the place? It it says towns and it says villages, which are distinct from cities. Jesus is, and here's where I want you to see this. Jesus doesn't exclusively care about people in large cities. He cares about the small places as well, right? And somewhere I know Samuel Casting is saying, amen, probably not wearing any pants while he does so. If you ever run into Tim Keller, go ahead and remind him, hey, Tim, don't forget Luke 13, and remind him that Jesus cares just as much about the little apple as he does the big apple. And if that ever happens, I can't wait to hear how the story goes. That's a bit of my own little soapbox. And yet here we see it in scripture. So I do want to point that out. But let's move along to the rest of the text. In chapter 9 then, Jesus is setting out for Jerusalem. That's way back in chapter 9. That's the first place we see it where he turns his direction and his focus to Jerusalem because it's this reminder that, that Luke gives us right here then. Jesus is still on a journey. He's still on his way. He's going like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings on that path that leads to Mordor, that leads to Mount Doom, that leads to suffering. Not because this journey just seems like an exciting thing to do. Not because he's going to be able to Instagram the amazing pictures along the way, but because he must go on this journey. He must go to the cross to save others and Jesus is still on that journey. Now, as Jesus is teaching Someone asked him that question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So this this just seems out of left field. It really does. But let me explain it within the the Jewish culture at the time. The the Jews' general belief uh, about these things when the Messiah comes was basically that all are going to be saved. All Jews are going to be saved except for some particularly heinous, nasty sinners that they might have had in their minds, right? It's kind of like our pop culture view uh, of heaven when anyone thinks about it today that thinks this. Everyone goes to heaven except for some of the nastiest sinners we can think of. And we're like, you know, Hitler and Larry Nassar and any of the people that we think, oh, there's a special place in hell reserved for those people. But the general thought is, is just that Everyone goes to heaven except for the nastiest of people. And that's their view within the Jewish people. And so then the person who asked this question has, has been listening to Jesus' teaching. And he's wondering if maybe this widely held view, this assumption they've had, that basically all Jews would be saved if it's maybe wrong. And he's starting to reason this out because he's listened to Jesus teach, for sure. That's where this comes from. And he's learning that Jesus teaches that even the Jews, the children of Abraham, must have faith... In the Messiah, they must have faith in Christ. Jesus, in fact, is defining what it means to truly be a child of Abraham. And we're going to get to that later in a little more detail. But for now, Jesus' teaching has certainly touched the nerve in this man. And that's why he speaks up. That's why he asked this question. Because he's asking, is, is only a smaller portion of Israel going to be saved? And I expect he might be wondering on a more personal level, what about me? Am I going to be saved? And you and I might ask the same question, right? Maybe some of you are wondering about your own salvation or we're wondering about our friends or our coworkers who don't know Jesus. What, what happens to them? What, what will happen to them when they die? Maybe you wonder about tribal people or, or children in, in Muslim nations who have never heard the gospel. And it all just seems so unfair when we want to analyze it. And honestly, just so exclusive. Exclusive. And I expect most of us have felt the judgment of others when you have some conversation about who Christ is and what it means to be a Christian, and they start to kind of think, oh, you're one of those Christians, those who believe that, that only those who have faith in Jesus will go to heaven. And you know what's going on in their minds, right? That suddenly you're a bigot. You're closed-minded. You're hateful even. And I, and I believe that, that outside pressure is the reason so many Christians today are, are so unwilling or at least hesitant to say that Jesus is the only way. There's always some qualification we want to give that we honestly don't see Jesus give. And, and listen, I understand the sentiment because if I were on a council, right? I get put on this council and we're going to decide how salvation works. Let's put it together. And someone proposed, how about this? Every somewhat decent person can be secure, uh, assured of heaven. I'd vote for that. I I would. I, that that sounds good to me. Right? Let's let's vote that in and make this real, right? But but here's the thing. That council doesn't exist. I don't get a vote. You don't get a vote. Nobody gets a vote. This is God's world. We are God's creation. He has every right to to simply do whatever he wants. He can condemn us all for our sin if he wants. And our problem then is that, that we have this very low view of God and his holiness, and we have way too high a view of our own worthiness in light of that, that somehow we deserve it. And so let me remind you we're not asking ourselves, listen, how do I want God to work? That's not the question we're asking. We're not, we're not asking, you know, uh, we're not telling God, God, this is how you should work. We've thought it over. We, we've really come to a, an idea and we're bringing it to you, God. This is how it should work. We're, we're listening to God in his word and, and we're listening to God tell us how in fact he does work. We're, we're trying to find out reality. In other words, what, we're, what we learn from Jesus here is the truth. And that's really what we want. And I encourage us all as as the creation then to be thankful to God who is our creator and and has made a way for redemption rather than critical because maybe we would do it different. Um, and, And so then Jesus doesn't answer the man directly, does he? He could Part of me kind of wishes he did answer him directly because he he could have gone completely rain man on the guy, right? Uh, You know, he could have said of the Jews alive right now, 234,607 of them will be saved. No, wait, wait. Another one was born, Uh, which means you, sir, right? So you have a a one in 3.4 chance uh, of being saved. Do You want to know if you are? He could have gone completely rain man on the guy and and he doesn't. Instead, Jesus responds by, by saying, speaking to him, right? Strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. And and you might not have expected in this sentence of Jesus, this statement of Jesus, that word strive here. We might not expect it because we, we talk more about resting in Jesus. Uh, we don't talk much about striving in that sense, right? Now, the, the Greek word that's translated strive here, which, which does mean everything you think, right? This intense exertion towards a goal, that's, that's the definition of it. it. It's the same word, in fact, that's translated in the, in the fairly well-known verse in 1 Timothy 6.12, right? The word fight at the beginning of the sentence, which says, fight the good fight of faith, only the first one, but fight the good fight of faith. Strive the good fight of faith is what we're seeing here, right? And it goes on in that verse to say, take hold of the eternal life for which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So here's, here's how striving for salvation um, is compatible with resting in Jesus. Why these are not contrary things. Where We are not striving to produce enough good works. We are not striving to have so little sin that somehow we are accepted as though we could, we could earn a right to get through that door that Jesus is talking about. Striving is not a ticket, uh, you know, to get you in entry, entryway. The striving here is to simply hear the message of Jesus and believe the message of Jesus. To believe in Christ. And yet, both strive and, and enter in this sentence, grammatically, are, are verbs here, right? Meaning action, meaning movements. The, the, the movement is to, to enter the narrow door. Go to Jesus. Believe Jesus' is teaching. Trust in Jesus. Follow Jesus. And so our striving is to, 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 is to enter the narrow door where we do, in fact, find rest. That's where we find Rest. But what we must, you know, we must actively seek to believe, not passively sit back. And I I say that, J.C. Ryle puts it well. He says, we we cannot sit still in sin and and worldliness waiting for the grace of God. Right? We're we're passive in one sense Uh, of God is who grants us the right to believe. But but here is Jesus saying, strive to believe, strive to come to me, strive to enter the the narrow door. And in John 10:9 Jesus defines the door in case you have any questions about it right when he when he says quite bluntly I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved Jesus is saying come to me where where you find salvation and so then while Jesus doesn't answer the question as directly as maybe the man might have hoped he does imply that that the number that that, that the guy has been imagining that's going to be less than he's been imagining as far as how many of the Jews are going to be saved since he says strive to enter by the narrow door. Not, not the wide door, not the door, but the narrow door. He, he, he qualifies it that way. And, and Jesus teaches this same idea at a different occasion, uh, using a little bit different of a picture in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. <clears throat> there Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are, are few. How, how many enter the wide gate? Well, Many. But that leads to destruction. And how many enter through the narrow gate, which is Christ? Well, few. The, the idea of a, of a narrow door then is that few are going to enter. Now, Jesus further explains what he's talking about here, right? And, and, and that really kind of disturbing statement we read in verse 24 where he says this. He says, For, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. And that's disturbing because you're thinking, you're, you're thinking there's someone who wants salvation in Christ and and he won't allow them, right? Now, now, now he doesn't mean that, that some will seek him, will seek to enter the narrow door and not be able to. That's not what he's talking about. He means that many are going to want to enter the house. Many are going to want salvation, but they're not going to be able to enter for the very reason that they didn't seek to enter through the narrow door through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is, is warning the Jews <clears throat> that not just wanting in, you know, wanting it is, is not how you get in. You must enter the narrow gate. And he says this, right? Because in, in other words, all people want salvation. They really do. But not all people want Jesus. And those are very different things. Now, Ryle again says this. He says, Christ is willing to receive sinners. But sinners are not willing to come to Christ and hence few are saved. In Acts 4.12, the Apostle Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking to these Jewish leaders who are so upset that they've been preaching the gospel to the Jews in in, in Jerusalem uh, and regarding them. And, And he says this to them. He says, There is salvation in no one else, right? Jesus alone, no one else. For there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what we see throughout the New Testament over and over again is that Christianity is indeed exclusive. And while that might offend people, it's the truth. It's the truth that God reveals to us in his word. And so to deny that Jesus is the only way of salvation because maybe it offends people, right? It's not only foolish to do so, it's also really unloving to others. I mean, for instance, say, say I had a, a vaccine to the coronavirus right now. I, I haven't been telling you. I just have it, right? But let's say I have that. that, that that's the only way that you can really be protected from, from the coronavirus going around. And, and then say my neighbor, Stacy and Ron, who, who live next door and their mother on the other side of us. But anyway, um, who are amazing neighbors, by the way. They are fantastic. They brought us toilet paper uh, this week, which our daughters were very excited about since we were reading how... People in the olden days were wiping their butts on corn cobs. You don't want to do that. Anyway, I'm getting all distracted here. Um, so let's say, that, let's say that Stacy comes and she tells me, we don't need that vaccine because we've been taking lots of vitamin C and I believe the vitamin C is going to protect us. Now, would it really be unloving of me to tell her, Stacy, you need the vaccine. That, that vitamin C, I know you like it, but it's not really going to protect you from the virus. That's not true Right? I don't know where you, where you learned it, but it's just not true. But, 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 but what if people are really sincere in their belief, right? What if, what, what if uh, someone is so gung-ho, sincere in their Islam or Mormonism, right? Uh, won't God honor their, their intentions? Well, even if, you know, my neighbor Stacy sincerely believes that the vitamin C will protect her and she has good intentions in taking it and it's all real genuine, it doesn't actually make it true. It doesn't. See, it must be Jesus. And it must be Jesus because only Jesus has accomplished what needs to be accomplished for salvation for, for you and I. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus is divine. Only Jesus could be the sacrifice in our place to actually pay what is due to make atonement for our sin. So let me ask you this. Have you, yes, you, listening to this, watching this right now, have you strived to enter through the narrow door? Can you answer that? Yes. And I I ask because if if not, you you still can. If, If there is breath in your lungs, there is still hope for salvation for your soul. Now, keep in mind that the reason that Jesus tells us that the door is narrow is not to discourage us. Right? That's not why he does that. It's not to keep us outside the door. He tells us so that we know where to go to find salvation, so that we don't waste our lives going through the wide doors or other places or anything else besides the narrow door. You see, the, 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 the door is narrow, but the door is not hidden. And Jesus invites you in. Well, let's again listen to Jesus as he continues speaking. Follow along, verse, verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. And, and then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Just a little light reading for us there, huh? Well, let's unpack it. This part of our passage is, is not about all lost people everywhere on the planet. It's specifically about people who believe they are saved. For example, the religious people that are standing in front of Jesus right there in this moment. That's who he's speaking to. Uh, A a, a time comes in the evening, and he's telling the story. A time comes in the evening when the owner of the house uh, gets up because the day is done and he closes the door and locks the door and it's done, right? Well, as soon as that door is closed, it creates this dividing line between those on the inside and, and those on the outside. Some are inside the door, safe in the kingdom of God. Others are outside the door and are forever apart from God. Hell, Right? The the door of God's mercy now has been open for a very, very, very long time, but we don't know how much longer it will be open. Any of us, because it could close at any point, and it closes this way either by your death or whoever's death, or it closes because Christ returns. That's the way that the door shuts when the day is done. At, at that point, though, the, the door will not be opened again, even if they beg, as we see them doing in verse 25 here. Lord, open to us. They want the door open at this point. See, when God closed the door to Noah's ark and the flood began, surely people began to knock. Surely people were begging to get in. Surely people began to see, oh, things are bad here. We're starting to see the truth of this. But it was too late and the people drowned. You see, it's, it's only in this life that you are living right now that, that we can enter through the narrow gate or the narrow door. Now is the time. And, and Jesus' story, as the people knock on the closed door, the, the master of the house, right, God in this story says, I don't know you. Where, I don't know where you come from, rather. And that's a weird thing, a way to say things. Uh, it's an ancient way of saying, I don't know you why would I open the door to you? And in 1 Samuel 25, uh, David sends his messengers ahead to Nabal when he's still running from Saul. And, and his soldiers ask, you know, hey, we want to enter into your house and we want to eat your food. Will you, will you, will you let us in? And, and Nabal rejects David using almost the exact same phrase that we see here. Uh, he's saying, you know, I, I don't know you Or or the way we might say it, right? I've never heard of you. I have no idea who you are. I don't know you from Adam. Things of that nature. Uh, Anyway, they just don't know you. Why in the world would I open the door to you? And in the story, Jesus is telling those outside the door, they they then try to persuade the master, right? Let me me make an argument. You do know who I am is what they're saying. They say, uh, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And this reminds me of, of pastors I talk with sometimes who are, um, you go into some, uh, some convention or something and they always want to work into the conversation somehow uh, about their personal interaction with some really famous pastor uh, as though they're good friends. You know, it'll, it'll be something like a, so I was asking Piper, recently, a blah, 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 whatever it was. Something, something really intelligent signing, saying, sounding. And, and I just want to say, John Piper has no idea who you are. And we all know it. You're not friends. You really aren't. But you wouldn't say that, right? I shouldn't say that. Um, but we're all tempted to do that on some level. Uh, two, two years ago, I was at a, a conference in Mississippi. And I, I somehow ended up in a, in a, on a car ride uh, with a driver named Bill and, and Kevin DeYoung, who, if you don't know, is a very well-known pastor and author. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm in the car with this Kevin DeYoung guy. Anyway, we, we talked on the drive. He actually does know Tim and Christine Durrett. They are friends from the past. Uh, anyway, at the conference, I took notes as he taught, and we shared these meals together. Well, we were in the same room and sometimes on the same table. I don't know if you'd call it together, but we had these meals together. Now I learned that he has an intolerance to gluten and it makes him sad because he loves pizza and pizza and gluten go together so closely. But, but, but what do you think is going to happen if I go to Kevin DeYoung's house uh, late tonight and he's locked the door and everyone's getting in bed and I just start knocking on the door, right? He, he'd come down and he'd say, go away, psycho. I don't even know who you are. I don't know where you come from. And I'd say, wait, wait, I, we, we shared a car ride together. We ate together. You, you were teaching at that conference and I was taking notes. I, I was there. We know each other. There is not a chance he's opening the door at midnight for me. I'm more likely going away in a police car later on, right? He, he doesn't know me. I'm not part of his household. If I were part of his household, I'd be on the other side of the door resting inside. So back to Jesus' story. The the, the people outside the door, they're they're calling the master, right? Lord. And and yet the master inside, he doesn't know them. And and he responds that second time, even after their incredible argument, right? Of how they do know him. And and he responds in verse 27. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. 2 Timothy 2.19 tells us that the Lord knows those who are his and so listen the, the time for you to know and to be known by God is right now do you pray to God do you listen to him in his word do you do you worship Christ do you do you seek and seek to obey Christ ha, have you entered that narrow door and found rest in Jesus have you Because these verses are meant to wake you up from your apathy or your laziness or your fear or whatever it is that is keeping you from seeking the narrow door that that is Jesus. Because Jesus is warning that one day that that door is going to shut and at that point it's going to be too late. It's not opening up again. Well, let's go on further and see what Jesus has to say. Uh, Follow along as I read starting in verse Twenty-eight. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are the last who will be first and some are first who will be last. See, at the beginning of that, Jesus is describing hell. It's outside the narrow door. There are people, there people are weeping and, and their teeth, right? Gnashing of teeth. This is an old phrase that means the, the cleansing or the grinding of teeth that's in pain, that's in anguish, right? That, that's what that's a picture of, of, of being apart from God. And, and what's so incredibly sad in this passage, and I mean truly heart-wrenchingly sad about this prophecy of Jesus, is, is that he's saying there are people... Who will die and leave this world only to wake up in another reality and at a time that and at that time they're going to know that Jesus is the Savior that Jesus said he was. And even though they had no faith in this life, they are going to believe now by absolute sight in Jesus. They are going to be convicted of the truths of the gospel. And, at, the, and they will, at this point, they're actually going to desire salvation. They're going to want it so bad. And they're going to be desperate to put their hope and their surety in Christ. And they will find that they can't enter the narrow door. They're going to find that it's simply too late. That's the gnashing of teeth. That's the anguish. I mean, to see that, that you had the opportunity and you don't. And let's be clear, some empty-hearted profession of Jesus or simple knowledge of biblical facts is not faith in Jesus. So does your life show that sin and worldliness, that that's your Lord, your God? Does your life show that, that you're your own Lord and your own God who you obey? And I, and I ask this, not as guilt, but so that you know that, it's, that, you know, if so, you are outside the narrow door. And if the door closes, It's too late. If you die or Christ returns, it will be too late. You see, the call of Jesus to you right now is is this. Strive to enter by the narrow door, through the narrow door. Place your trust in Jesus and, and then follow Jesus with all your heart. This is the good thing he invites us to. Jesus also makes clear here that people outside the kingdom will see who's in the kingdom of God. They will see what they don't have. I just can't imagine that anguish whenever you just let your mind go there for a minute. What would that be like? The, oh! And then in verse 29 Jesus says, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. He, he's talking about Gentiles. He's talking about non-Jewish people. He's talking about most of you probably. Jesus is, is, is teaching them that, that the true sons of Abraham are not those who are born Jewish. That's that's not how you are a son of Abraham, but rather those who receive Christ with faith. Now, we read it at every, every baptism we do here. Um, Galatians 3, 7 and 8, which says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's how you become a son of Abraham. That's how we are part of the family of God, through faith in Christ. Now, Philip Riken points out here, uh, this shows how inclusive Christianity is. In one sense, Christianity is the most exclusive of all religions. According to Jesus himself, there is only one narrow way of salvation. Those who find it are included. Everyone else is excluded. But in another sense, Christianity is the most inclusive of all religions. It is not just for people from a particular ethnic background. It is not just for people who are able to obey God better than other people or who have reached a certain level of enlightenment. You do not have to be any smarter smarter any more religious or any holier than anyone else. You just have to be a sinner who is praying for God to give you grace in Jesus Christ. The last line in our passage then is quoted often, almost always uh, out of context, right? Uh, Some are the last. It says, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. And it's almost always quoted uh, to someone at the back of a line somewhere, right? At a potluck or something. Anyway, what it really means is this. It means that uh, the Jews were first. That's what he's saying to his audience there. You've been first, right? You're you're first because uh, the gospel comes to you first. You're first because you have the covenant, You have the scripture. You're you're God's people in that sense. And and the Gentiles were last. and, And yet some Gentiles will enter the kingdom while some Jews will not. There's this major switch that is happening. Because everyone who enters, enters through faith in Jesus Christ. And and so then the bottom line of this entire passage is this. There's only one door that leads to salvation. Jesus Christ is that door. You must enter through that door and and so strive to believe the gospel. Strive to believe in Christ. and, And further this, Jesus is the only door. And so pray for and share the gospel with and encourage those that you care for to enter through the narrow door even if they might think you're a, you're a close-minded bigot for saying so. Don't, don't wait to strive to enter through the narrow door. Don't. Because there will be, the only opportunity is, is right now. There'll be no opportunity after Christ returns or after you have died. But today, today you may. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have listened to your word this morning. We have sought to understand it. Our our prayer has been that the the Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds to understand it. And and we are asking now that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit to to, to really embrace it, to know Jesus, to be known by Jesus, to find rest in Christ, Not, not by some some amount of works that we have piled up and bring before you, but simply because we throw ourselves on your mercy, we enter through the narrow door of faith in Jesus Christ to do everything that we couldn't. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.